Let's pray. Father, it's such a joyful season for so many. We're so grateful for Christmas. We're so excited that it's here, God, and we pray that today would be glorifying and honoring to you. But God, we also are fully aware of the fact that in this joyful season, anxiety can rise, stress can rise, family traditions or lack thereof can trigger us and we can lose our joy. And so God, I pray for every sister and brother within the sound of my voice, those that are here and those that are online. And I pray, Lord God, with just a little bit less than a week before Christmas, God, I pray that in the midst of the craziness and the chaos, we would find moments of solitude and be grafted into you, oh God, and really be able to declare and experience, not just sing those words, but know within our souls, God, that though the world is a mess, though our lives are sometimes a mess, in you and through you and by you, we can live in this world and declare and know that it is well. So for the person who is here, God, who, who's struggling, for the person who finds themselves more depressed this time of year than any other year, for the worries of this world, Father God, would you let them fall by the wayside in this moment as we, as we dig into your word and would you send us out today, oh God, transformed, different, because we've been engaged in this experience for your glory and your honor. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And the New Hope people of God said together, amen. amen. Come on, would you high five somebody from a distance or tell somebody it's good to see them and you can be seated. Good stuff. Merry Christmas, everybody. You guys doing well? Are you ready for it? Can you believe it's here upon us? Hey, um, if you're a guest here, my name is Benji, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Just so honored that you would spend some time with us today. We got Christmas Eve services coming up, and I just wanted to mention those ever so briefly. Uh, we start around here on Christmas Eve Eve. So December 23rd, We've got a Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. If possible, go ahead and come to that one. That will help us with some traffic control. Um, but if you want to come on the 24th, come on. 24th, we've got two uh, services at 2 and 4 p.m. And uh, I've, I've looked at the PCO. That I'm sorry, that you don't know that language. Planning Center online. That's what we use to plan out the worship celebration. Uh, guys, we have an amazing worship celebration. Great music. Uh, great elements, uh, hopefully a great word. Uh, we're going to end with candlelight. That's kind of a tradition of ours, so it's, it's awesome. You don't want to miss it. We'll be singing uh, my favorite song of all time, Oh Holy Night. Then we're going to light candles and sing Silent Night, and you just don't want to miss it. What, what, what goes on in here is going to be incredible, but let me tell you what's going to go on outside, and it's also incredible. We, we've got a hot cocoa bar. 
Come on. People just got excited in the house of the Lord. Hot cocoa bar. We've got decorating cookies going on. We've got a Christmas craft station going on. We've got grab bags for elementary kids. The, the elementary kids, you, you might not know this, but we do this every year. They come in and they worship with us on Christmas Eve. We have shepherds and sheep. Oh, yes, we do. But they will not be on this stage. Those who are laughing are laughing because they remember the day I brought a camel up here. And all you know what broke loose up in the house of the Lord. It was bad. We call it hump day. It was terrible. Worst Sunday in the history of our church. It was awful. Literally, we, we should still be praising God that nobody died that day. You're like, what's he talking about? Just go online and Google camel at New Hope Church and you'll see it. It was crazy. We've got a birthday party for Jesus for our preschoolers, and we've got a photo booth to capture the memories. It's going to be a great, great Christmas Eve service. You don't want to miss it. It starts on the 23rd, uh, continues on the 24th. Then on Saturday, Christmas Day, I pray you have a great Christmas uh, with your loved ones, and you just really celebrate the birth of Jesus. I encourage you to grab the Bible before you go tearing into any gifts. Grab the Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2, read the Christmas story, and then uh, tear into them at that point in time. Say praise the Lord. Um, and, and then on the Sunday the 26th, listen closely. No church. No, now, some of y'all are going to pull up in here because it's a Sunday and it's a habit thing. Praise God. You enjoy our parking lot. Take a swim in the baptistry if you want. Play on the playground. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. But we ain't having church up in here. And then we'll be back on Sunday, January 2nd to kick off a new year. Uh, let me just do one more thing before we get into the word today. This is so worthy of the time that we're going to spend right here. Um, if, if you saw this online, you know this, but I, I had the unbelievable privilege on your behalf. It's not just me. We did this together. On your behalf, I had the unbelievable privilege of signing over a beautiful piece of land and a fully furnished church building with all of our technology. You know how we do buildings. All of our technology in that building, I had the privilege of signing that over debt-free, debt-free to a previous campus pastor, my friend, Pastor Josh Conklin, and the beautiful people in Sanford, North Carolina, where they are starting. Yeah, you can go ahead and clap. They are starting a sister church. First time we've ever done this. We've launched campuses before. First time we've ever launched a freestanding church. It's called the Journey Church of Sanford. They're already meeting. They're going to have a grand opening in the new year. They're meeting today. Some of them might be watching this online. Um, and I spoke with Pastor Josh this week. He was so, so grateful. And um, I want us to do something crazy. I want to ask you in just a moment to stand to your feet. And the camera ops are going to get in place. They're going to do their, their thing. And I want to ask you to clap and celebrate and cheer for this young baby church that we are a part of. And I know your mama said, don't shout in church. Your mama was wrong. <laughs> the Bible says, shout to the Lord. And so I want you to go bonkers. I want you to shout like you've always wanted to shout in church. 
Some of you, you got all kind of anxiety. You're a little angry about the world and Christmas. This can be therapeutic. I want you to yell to the top of your lungs, and we're going to pan the crowd, and then I'm going to speak into the camera, and uh, Pastor Josh is going to show this to this young church so that they know, hey, there's a movement called New Hope who not only gave us the building debt-free and, and want to bless us, but in person. I want to make it personal today so that they feel the love and the warmth and the encouragement coming from us, and we're going to cheer them on every step of the way in the years ahead. Amen? Amen. So stand to your feet. Some of you are like, yeah, baby. <laughs> Balcony, don't think just, we'll see you on the cameras too. Balcony, I want to hear you. And I got to tell you, the first celebration about blew me off this stage, so you got some work to do. Uh, I'm going to say a few words to the camera. And then I'm going to say, hey, but it's not just me. I've got, I've got a community here who wants to express their love and support of you. And at that point in time, go crazy. You stand on the, you stand on the seats if you want. Hey, but listen, listen. No tambourines and no laps. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all been to those churches. All right. No tambourines and no laps at New Hope Church. Um, all right. Three, two. Wait, I'll call on you. Don't go yet. Three, two, one. Hey, what's up, Journey Church of Sanford, Pastor Josh Conklin, Brittany. Uh, hey, we love you guys. We are so excited. And I know you feel like you have been blessed from the building and everything that we have given you. But you need to know, we are the one that is blessed. We love you. We are so excited for you. We're pulling for you. And it's not just me. I know, it's, you know you're expecting me to say this. But I've got a church full of people here today who want to let you know that we are in this with you. We are praying for you. We are supporting you. And we are encouraging you. And I wanted you to hear from them. You gotta love the heart of this church. Hey, we love you guys, and uh, we can't wait to see what God does in and through you as we link arms and claim this area for Christ. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and God bless. All right, you can be seated. That was great. You guys are amazing. Love the heart of this church. So we're in a series um, called Christmas Outside the Box. And I love this series. Um, I haven't taught any of it. This is the first time I'm teaching today in this series. But I love it because it's, when we started dreaming about this thing, it's kind of countercultural. It's, it's got a rebellious edge to it. And if you know me, you know that's why I love it. Um, but the very first week, you might remember Tiana Spencer from uh, the L.A. area. She, she came and she preached on Spend Less. Spend less. And some of you were really thrilled to hear that that day. Like, seriously, that's a good message at Christmas. You don't want, and there's one week left. Listen, don't go spending so much this week that you spend all of 2022 trying to pay your way out of debt. Spend less. And go home and tell your kids today, yo, I'm spending less. They won't like it, but it's all good. Now, bless your kids, but you know what I'm saying. Spend less. Then last week, we talked about give more. Sounds contradictory? But if you were here last week, you know how that unfolded, and I just encourage you to go check out those messages. Today, I want to talk about love all. Everybody say love all. Love all. 
oh, you guys are really loud today. I have given you permission to be loud in the house of the Lord. Say it again. Love all. Love. This message today, <laughs> the little kid had about the kind of timing that I typically have. <laughs> the message that I want to talk to you about today is one that is real dear, real dear to my heart. Um, and I don't mean that because I've aced it throughout my life. You'll hear me share with you uh, a little bit today how I've not always aced it. But the reason it's so dear to my heart is because I really believe this is the answer to the world's problems. I don't know if you were aware of this. I know some of you were. I, I wouldn't have been aware of it if a family didn't tell me about it. Uh, this past Friday, some of our families kept their kids home from school because there was this, this traction on TikTok where uh, students and people across our nation were encouraging our students to go into their high schools and shoot them all up for mass shootings on the last Friday before Christmas. What's going on in our world, right? And it's nothing new, right? You, so you and I hear this stuff so much, if you're not careful, if you're anything like me, you'll grow numb to it after a while. About a month or so ago, I think it was up in Wisconsin, a dude gets in a minivan and plows through a Christmas parade, killing five or six and wounding like 40. Drove through a group of senior citizens who had been doing this for years in the Christmas parade, called something like the Dancing Saints or something like that, killing these elderly folks at a Christmas parade. What's going on with this world? I was speaking with a young, young person the other day and she asked for some time and she was just sharing uh, her story and her struggles and her battle with some mental health issues and, and it was really heavy and it was really raw and she said something that I don't know that I'll ever forget. She said, it's not that I don't want to live. It's that I don't want to live here. Meaning, on this planet that is so jacked up and broken. What, what is the answer? What is the solution? I would humbly submit to you today that in one word, it is love. It is love. There's a study been done in Texas, um, and you know, Texas by far is one of the states that continues to execute more people than any other state. But there was a study done where they, 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 they created a digital archive of inmates who were on death row. And you know, before they execute somebody, that person has a chance to speak to any of those that are gathered. What do you think is the most popular word that the worst of the worst criminals in America say when they give their final speech before they're executed. I found this fascinating. I, I would have thought maybe it had been laced with more anger or more hatred or, or more evil, right? The most popular words, 63% of the inmates spoke about this word, love. Fascinating when you think about it. That they said things like, I say this with love, I'm sorry. 
They said, I say this for my family with love and with God, I love you. To my family and to my boss, all I have is love. One person said this, I'll start by saying I love all of you. One person said, I want to tell you folks here, I have a love for you in my heart, not just you, judge, or anyone else, but the victims that I hurt. I love you. One person said, first, I would like to give praise to God for the love and grace that he has allowed for all of us to come together. I'm sorry, and I love you. The worst of the worst criminals in our land the survey goes all the way back to 1976. The worst of the worst, the most popular word spoken in that moment is love. You see, I believe that says to us that the deepest heart, the deepest yearnings, the deepest soul cravings of every single person, good, bad, middle, however you want to weigh all that out, is a deep desire to experience love and to give love. It's why if, if you were to walk out of these doors when the worship celebration is over today, and I hope you'll do this, and you walk to the middle of the rotunda and you turn to the left and you look up at the wall and you read the dream of this church. Crafted in 2001, right before we launched this church in 2002, you'll see two paragraphs that say this. Keep the volume going with me today, church. Read this out loud. Ready? Go. We dream of a church full of people who have hearts for God and are so contagious with authentic Christian life that non-believing, de-churched, and unchurched people are drawn to experience Jesus for themselves, many for the first time. One more paragraph, keep going, you sound great. We dream of a church where people know they are because they know how to share their needs with each other. They know how to pray for each other. They know how to support and encourage each other. And they know how to spur each other on to be all that God intends them to be. Let the New Hope people of God say amen. amen. Love. Love all. Love everyone. Not just the people who look like you. Not just the people who talk like you. Not just the people who act like you. Love everyone. Even those who get on your last nerves. Come on, let's just keep it real for a moment. You know you got some family members about to roll up in town. <laughs> what if you got ahead of it this year? What if you got ahead of it and you prepared your heart and you determined in your soul with great spiritual resolve, it doesn't matter how he or she is going to try and bait me, try to get me to talk politics, try to get me to talk COVID, try to get me to talk whatever, I'm not going to take the bait and I'm just going to love them. The power, I'm telling you, I believe this is the solution to the world's problems. Jesus put it like this. Come on, keep it going with me. You're reading so well today. The Bible says this in John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Keep it going. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. It's the central hallmark of those who know God. Those who've experienced the love of God. It's to love other people. 
And something I've been quite concerned about in recent years anyway is I'm finding that a lot of Christians, and let me just, let me just call it like it is, a lot of pastors, and we have pastors in here today and pastors who watch us online. We have a lot of pastors who, who talk about love, but they aren't very loving. You see, I'm not talking about shallow talk. I'm not talking about just giving lip service. I'm talking about we as a church being one of the most loving movements on the planet. Love is the oxygen for the human soul. And people are desperately dying for it. And again, it's not just loving people who look like us and act like us. Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached, it was his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter five, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's Old Testament stuff. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Christmas is a wonderful time. It recalibrates us to the fact that if you are in Christ, if you have experienced the gospel, we just got through with that series in Galatians, right? If you are a born again child of God, the love of God comes into you from above and it flows out of you to anyone and everyone you meet anywhere. The church is for everyone. The church is to love everyone. The church is to put teeth to that and serve everyone. You're like, Pastor, where in the world do you get that from? Acts 2.21, out loud, church, 2.21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who? The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Everyone who believes, right? 2 Peter 3.9. Oh, I love this one. If, you're, if you don't know Christ, this is really important. This is what God's waiting for in your life. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but what? Everyone to come to repentance. Do you see the theme in Scripture and I could keep quoting scripture all afternoon. It is the meta-narrative. It is the thread that ties the entire New Testament together. God has loved us, so we love people. When I came to Duke, um, I came from, from, probably like some of you, I came from a, a, a town where I grew up around people who were a lot like me. Um, I had my own biases and um, I remember coming to Duke, and it was such a great thing because when I came here, I realized that the world that I grew up in was not the real world. And so I had to start wrestling with some biases and some tendencies and some proclivities when it comes to people who might not look like me or act like me or, 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 or live out their sexuality like me, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that, and then I, I met these guys, and we decided we, decided we were going to go to a football game over in Raleigh. North Carolina State, any Wolfpack fans up in the house? Woo! Pagans. Um, <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Uh, so I went, we, we went over to the Duke versus NC State football game. Now, you know who's going to win that, and it ain't Duke. Um, Wolfpack, Wolfpack's an incredible environment, dude. I mean, they get that thing. They get the wolf howling on the loudspeaker. Ooh, people go crazy they're doing all this. I didn't know what was going on. But, but we're sitting there. I just, got, I just landed in this area. I hadn't been here long at all. It was the fall. It was my fall of my first year. And so we're over there, and the place is packed. 
And I, I, the guys are here, like the guys that I came with, all of us seminary students. You know, all of us, you know, think we got it all together, right? And, and there was another group of guys over here, and we were all in Duke Blue, and they were all in red. And um, a whole side story, but later in the night, it, it got kind of chippy, and I, I thought they were, were going to try to take us out. And I was, I was, but that's not, that's not what I'm saying, because I... I I can get unsanctified in a moment, but, uh, <laughs> but that's not this part of the story. Before that, that was fourth quarter. In the first quarter, I'm sitting here. <laughs> it was a long night, man. In the first quarter, um, the game just got started, and they're, they're having this conversation about what they had been doing, how they had been experiencing college. And I was eavesdropping into their conversation. Don't judge me. You know you do it, too. And I'm listening, and here, here's, what, here's the narrative they're writing for each other. This is what their first couple months of college at NC State looked like. They would go out and party hard, man, get hammered in the evening, and then they would try to hook up and sleep with somebody, and then they would go to bed and finally fall asleep in the wee hours of the morning, and then they would stumble to class at best if they made class, and then they would put it on rinse and repeat cycle the next night. And they just did this. And they were, they were, they were talking about all this and, and celebrating all this. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them. And finally, I leaned over to, to my buddies and I didn't know them that well. They had just come from different parts of the country. They were in school. I said, can you hear this? And they're like, no, I guess I was the only one eavesdropping. And, and I said, you're not gonna believe this. I said, let me, and I started walking through what they were saying. And then I said, and I'm not proud of this. Benji Kelly, your pastor seminary student, he, he said me, I said, this school is made up of a bunch of sleazeballs. Some of you, th <laughs> it's one of those you don't know whether you should laugh or not. And, and my buddy who I just met paused and he goes, well, I don't know about you, Benji, but like as I read the scriptures, and I really follow Jesus in the New Testament, I find that those are the kind of people Jesus wants to hang out with. Can you say buzzkill? <laughs> so for the next five or 10 minutes, I, I acted like I was watching the game, but I wasn't watching the game. I was just staring off and into the field thinking, God, I'm so sorry. I'm supposedly called to ministry, and here I am acting like a Pharisee, a judgmental, mean-spirited person, as if there aren't those same students doing the same thing at Duke. Right, right. And as if, if I'm not careful, and you know this about me because you know my story, but I know it about you. If we're not careful, we can slip right back into some sin that we can't even imagine, all but for the grace of God, go I. This message is real personal for me because I'm sick and tired of pastors and Christians talking about love but not being loving. I'm so sick and tired of pastors and Christians talking about love but 
can be the most judgmental, mean-spirited people on the planet, when in reality, we should be leading the way in this idea of love. We should be hanging out with people who are far from God. We should be contagious with Christianity so that people see our love, they experience our love, and I thought about this earlier, they see our joy. We can talk about love, and we can even do some love. But this time of year should remind us that joy has come to the world. And as we are grafted into God, that joy comes into us and it just pours out on other people. Can I get an amen? amen. In Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells this story. He tells this, this story about a dinner party. Imagine, I mean, it's Christmas. We've all got a lot of parties to go to, right? And you probably have already been to some. Jesus tells this, this story about a party. At a Pharisee's house, his name is Simon. And, uh, you know, the invite list goes out. And, and there's a party and it starts to unfold. This was like the religious elite of the day. This was the clergy. That would be me, right? We're like the clergy elite. They're supposed to have it all together. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up at the party. I love this woman. She wasn't on the invite list. <laughs> And she didn't care, and I love that about her. She shows up at this party. And Luke 7, 37 says this, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. A woman who lived a sinful life. Now let me just tell you, that's, that's first century Palestinian language to, to just kind of code, she was a prostitute. We know that. She was a prostitute. She lived this sinful life had learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She comes, she comes to Jesus. The Pharisees start looking at her. What are you doing here? Look at verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet, what? Weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We know that the perfume she carried in the alabaster jar was so precious that it was worth about a year's worth of wages. So what did you make in 2021? Don't yell it out. That's between you and God. <laughs> but you got, a, you got a number in your mind. A ballpark anyway. It would be like you and me bringing that which we make in a year and pouring it out to Jesus. The story unfolds. She starts crying. She's so emotional. Go study the passage later today. Again, Luke chapter 7. Being in the presence of Jesus, those tears wet his dirty feet. Nobody offers her a towel. So she starts wiping his feet with her hair. She doesn't care about religious pretense. That's one of the reasons why I love her. She doesn't care about the pretense in the room because she was broken. She was messy. She was desperate. And I love that because nothing breaks through pretension and gets God's attention like desperation. She was not invited and she didn't give a flying flip. She didn't care. All she wanted to do was be in the presence of Jesus. Verse 39, out loud, church, verse 39 
When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a... Can you hear it? Can you smell it? The odor of arrogance and pride that tends to permeate from religious folk. And churches are notorious for falling into these pharisaical patterns. Now, one of the things I've often said about this church, and you know I believe this, like this is one of the most loving churches on the planet. It's what I love about this church. I give credit where credit is due. You are the most beautiful, multi-ethnic, loving church. We have homeless people worshiping beside CEOs. We have people who have all kinds of biases and tendencies. We have people who do things that some of you don't think they should do, people who do things that you think they should do. And we've just always said, you know what? We're gonna love people. But the power of this today is that it reminds us who we are. Reminds us how we are to interact with the world. Because listen, like the Pharisees, Christians, and I would dare say if we're not careful, we might slip into this. And some of you might have already slipped into this. If we're not careful, we can start to shun certain types of people who come to church. Don't you sit next to me. Ooh, ooh, you smell like alcohol. Ooh, you got tattoos. Ooh, you're a Democrat. Ooh, I'm coming for you, don't worry. You're a Republican. I'm an equal offender opportunist. Ooh, you're HIV positive. Ooh, you're wearing a mask. Ooh, you're not wearing a mask. Ooh, you smell like tobacco. Ooh, you smell like wacko tobacco. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Ooh, I don't want you sitting next to me. Christ himself would say, and I would say, no, no, no. Let us never become the kind of church that judges and is mean-spirited people regardless of anything. Our job is to love people regardless. Our job, don't mishear me, I'm not condoning everything. Our job is to love people so that they get in the presence of God, and once they get in the presence of God, we can trust our God to do what God needs to do. Hey, this message is all over me, and I felt some conviction this week. And you know, all of us have heard stories of pastors having moral failures, right? I was thinking about that this week too. And normally, it always breaks my heart, and it should break your heart. Um, you know, pastor has a moral failure. It usually involves one of two things, right? Right? Sex or money, and it usually destroys the church. And it's just so unfortunate. But this is, as I was thinking about that this week, this is what hit me. Why is it that we consider those moral failures, and we should, again, don't mishear me, we consider those moral failures, but I've never heard of a pastor being judged or run out of town or whatever, condemned because he or she had a moral failure to love people or not love people. Like, 
I'm just like you and you're just like me. If I'm not careful, I can go days, weeks, months, sometimes years if we're not careful and never do something loving for a neighbor. I'm like you, you're like me. If we're not careful, we can go years without loving people that we work with who get on our last nerves because of a choice they made or a lifestyle they're engaged in and we cut them off from the very thing that has the potential to redeem their soul and give them eternal life and give them joy. See, see, see I would say that's just as much as a, of a moral failure. May God soften our hearts today May God penetrate this church. May we be a loving movement throughout the triangle and beyond. If you're online, just type in the words, love all. May we remember who we are. And may we love people, not just in word, but in deed. And may we be loving May the love that is in us, and this is really pertinent for the day and age in which we live. This has been a dark run that we've been in as a human race, right? There's a heaviness that has settled into us. There's a seriousness. I would say a terminal seriousness if we're not careful. Whereby we've lost our joy. And I would remind us that the mission of the church is at stake. Nothing less than the eternal destiny of souls rests in the balance as to whether or not we get this right. Look at, look at verse 48 and 49, Luke chapter 7, just wrapping this passage up. Then Jesus said to her, oh, I love this. Your sins are what, church? The other guests began to say among themselves, this is a great question. Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this, church? who forgives people that we don't even want to make time for? Who is this church that forgives people that we can be judgmental and hard-hearted towards? I'll tell you who it is. His name is Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is a love that is contagious. Most of you know that I was in Arizona last weekend, in the first part of this last week, um, burying one of my mentors um, and one of my pastors. I got several people that I consider pastors, but Dale was at the top of the list. He was my pastor. He was the dean of the Beeson program that I graduated from in Kentucky before starting this church. He's a legend. He, he, he ushered in the small group movement in the 70s. He founded the, the great New Hope Church, Portland, Oregon, which is still a thriving mega church to this day. He was the dean of the Beeson program, but a couple years ago, he had a really bad heart attack. Then he started getting congested heart failure in the last year or so, and then he had a GI, gastrointestinal bleed, and it was just a slow decline, and so he passed away a couple weeks ago. And I, I was so honored, I was invited to speak on behalf of all the Beeson pastors that he's ever poured into. One of the best funerals I've ever been to in my life, One, by far. Um, may, maybe, actually, a better way to put it, the best funeral I've ever been involved in. There were like five of us speaking. The music was phenomenal. Uh, Margie, his wife, 
She was incredible. I, get to, I got to sit on the front row with her and kind of be with, with Dale's wife and comfort her. And it, it, it was incredible. But I was thinking about Dale this week. And one of the things that impacted me most about Dale, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't his hermeneutical skills and ability to unpack a biblical text. It wasn't what he taught me about teaching in the 21st century. It, it, it wasn't what he taught me about leadership and he taught me so many things, but the thing that, that will forever live with me about Dale was the way he loved people. His motto in life, we even said this at the funeral, his motto in life was love God, love people. Isn't that simple? See, we make it so complicated. Say that with me. Love God, love people. Again, love God, love people. We make it so complicated. Instead of judging people and trying to measure people where they are on the totem pole of holiness, maybe what you and I really need to do is we just need to love God and love people. There's something beautifully simplistic about that. You know, the Bible says in Revelation 3, 20, you know the text. Here I am. I stand at the door and I do what? Anyone who opens the door, I will come into them and fellowship with them or sup with them and commune with them. Dale introduced me to a poem that he shared several times throughout our time together. And to be honest with you, I shared it several times in the early days of this church because it was fresh, and I forgot about it. I forgot about it till another speaker at the funeral reminded me that this was Dale's favorite poem. And he read it at the funeral. And if it's okay with you, I want to end today by reading it to you. It's called, I, I Stand by the Door. And it's written by Sam Shoemake. You might have heard of it, but you probably haven't because it's dated. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's, the, it's that door that, that people walk through, that Revelation 3.20 door. He stands at the door. It's that door that we walk into. We have a relationship with Christ. It's that door, metaphorically, of walking into heaven, right? I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. Amen, church? Let us be reminded of that. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many will ever find is only a wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men and women to find the door. Amen, church? The door to God. The most important thing that any man or woman can do is take hold of the one Take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door. 
as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it. Live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars, way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths or heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in too. Sometimes I venture in a little further. But my place seems closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay too long. Listen closely. You can go into this Christianity so deep and stay in so long that you're no longer hanging out with people who desperately need the love of God. We can turn this church, if we're not careful, into an ecclesiastical ghetto where we kind of just hang out with people who believe what we believe, just hang out with people who look like us. We all speak a kind of Christianese while the world is dying and going to hell. The people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run again away from God, you can go in too deeply, stay too long, and forget the people outside the door. Last, last paragraph. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place Near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them. Ten of them. Whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. For I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. So I stand by the door. Let's make this real practical today and be done. Who do you need to love this week and love them well? Yes, they know you love God. Hello. Aaron, but do they know you love them? Who's the name? You, you can type it on your phone right now if you want. If you're taking it, write it down. Who, who's the name or two or three or four people? That's in your life, in your sphere of influence. Remember Luke 7? Jesus is having a party. Everyone's invited. We're having a party. Christmas Eve party. 
Starts December 23rd, goes through the 24th. Who are you inviting? Who are you gonna extend an invitation of love to and start to love them and serve them? Rick Warren put it like this, the great pastor of Saddleback Church in California. He said, never procrastinate in showing love. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Do it when? Now. Who's on your list? Who are you going to extend an invitation to? I'm going to come down here today. In other words, who are you bringing to church on Christmas Eve? May I? See, these brothers right here are probably going to be here. And you probably are too, right? But the question I want to send you out with today, who's going to be sitting beside you? Who are you going to invite with the love of God? Not just in word, but in deed. You'll take it a step further. Don't just invite them. Tell them, hey, I'll pick you up. Like, I'll pick you up. And then you bring them to church. And guess what? You bring them here, I'm going to offer them Christ. You get them here. And in all of our areas, children's ministry, student ministry, worship, we're all going to be doing this thing together. You get them here, then you and I are partnering together. We're offering them Christ. People experience the love of God. Then they go out, they share the love of God, and that's how we change the world. That's the beauty and the vision of the church. So who are you bringing? Who's on your list? We will know that we're getting back to what New Hope is all about. When you and I start showing up, because by the way, I'm not preaching to you. I'm right there with you. I've got my list. I know who I'm inviting this week. I've been building a redemptive relationship with two men for years now. (laughs) They came last Christmas. They haven't been back, but that's okay. That's okay. We keep getting them here. God will do the rest. God will do the rest. And we will know that we're getting there, church. When you show up weekly, this is not just for Christmas Eve, this is 2022, this is beyond. When we show up at church, and we're not only excited about being there ourselves, but we're excited because we've got someone with us who desperately needs the love of God. Pray with me. Father, would you pierce our hearts today, Lord, I sense even as I've been speaking today that there's just a sense of great conviction, great conviction, not bad conviction, great conviction in the house of the Lord today. God, it's so easy to fall back into a kind of religious experience, kind of holy huddle, us four, no more. And thank you that Christmas rolls around and it reminds us that a joy has come to the world. And that it is our job, oh God, to go forth and declare it, not just in word, but in deed.
So God, I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice, physically or online. May this be a week, oh God, that we as a church get back to that which matters most, that which is the only answer to the world's problems, a godly kind of love that cares for every single person that reaches out and embraces and loves and welcomes them among us in your church, not our church. God, I pray, I pray that this sermon doesn't end with amen. But I pray that you thrust us out from the seats to the streets, oh God to love well those you've put in our sphere of influence, to love them well and extend an invitation for them to be in the house of God Christmas Eve and that together, oh God, in this partnership of love, the gospel would be presented, souls would be redeemed, sins would be forgiven, lives would be saved, and this revolution of love, oh God, would continue to spread throughout the triangle and beyond. We love, oh God, because you first loved us. Who's the person that you're thinking about right now? The name, the face that you know, you just know that this message was for you to go love them well. May we do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let the people of God say together, amen and amen. amen.